So we're going to continue on in Psalms 23. We're going to finish verse 3 today. All right, week 6, verse 3, we're moving along. All right, so if you are able to stand for the reading of God's Word, please do so. I'm going to read from the NIV again this morning. Whatever translation you have is fine. NIV will be on the screen. Psalm 23. And it reads, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the way that you guide us. Thank you for who you are and what you do in our lives, Lord. And thank you for the gift of scripture, the gift of your spirit, and the gift of our salvation, Lord. As we... um, I've been taking time through Psalm 23. Thank you for the way that you've spoken to us through your spirit. So, Lord, I do pray again that you prepare our hearts to receive your word. Use me however you see fit. Whatever you want me to say, say, and whatever you don't, I don't. We love you and we thank you and praise your name. Amen. You may have a seat. So not to alarm anyone, but I almost considered doing this portion of verse three into three parts. So <laughs> the good, the, the, the one, well, not one good thing, but Richard is preaching next week and I already told him what he's going to do on the next one and I didn't want to mess it up. But as I was considering this, he guides me along right paths for his namesake. There's so much there and I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed slowing down and not just doing a one-off message or one-off reading of Psalm 23. It has been good for my soul, personally. I hope it has been for you. And as we consider this, he guides me along the right paths for his namesake or paths of righteousness or his glory or whatever translation it, it means the same. And my hope this morning, as we jump right in, is that we will take a look at what King David meant, again, as a shepherd, as we have been doing, I've really used the Philip Keller's book, The Shepherd's View of Psalm 23, as a, as a guide. And I'm, my hope this morning is that as we consider what King David, as a shepherd and as a sheep in the middle of the Judean desert, not only that, but how it also relates to us. And right, right up front, I just want to point out Right away, did you notice King David says he guides me along the right paths, plural, not singular, and right or righteous and how the shepherd leads. So my hope this morning again is that we will look at what it means and what David, King David meant when he said this for his namesake and what it means for a good shepherd as he leads us. And I believe anytime we have a discussion on paths or direction or being led by the Spirit or whatever language you want to use, I think the immediate question that pops into all of our heads at some point is how do I know what one is the right path? Or how do I hear from God? Any, any of these questions rattle around in your mind? We've read before... 
but from John 10, verse 27, we read, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. And if you're anything like me, one of the first questions I ask myself is, okay, I understand I'm a sheep, but when you call me, how do I know it's your voice and not my own voice or my belly grumbling or someone else's voice? How do I know? So this morning, my hope is, is threefold. First, I want to take a look at what path or paths specifically, that plural meaning, what it looked like, what it meant then and what it means to us, what is right or righteous. So paths and the right and righteous. And then I want to, what does it mean when King David says, for his name's sake? What does that mean? And then I'll spend the rest of the time considering how to hear from God. And I think this can be a bit of a challenge for us, especially when we feel as if we're in a rut or we gain some momentum and then we fall again. And then you do really, really well and then you fall again. Anyone, do, anyone already break their diet that they promised they were going to do on January 1? Did anyone break it on January 1? Yeah, those peanut butter cups get me every time. But you think about it, and, and, and as, we, as we consider this and thinking about we're doing well, we're right out in the right path, we're, we're heading in the right direction, and then we fall off, and it's a slow fade, or it's a horrible crash. And, and last week, I, I, I joked, but I was in all seriousness talking about how Google's algorithm has think, thinks that I'm going through a midlife crisis, and um, so not only is the algorithm getting me, now some of you... You dear people are sending me videos to be distracted by. I appreciate that. And uh, there is a video that was sent to Natalie to show me, and I didn't ask for permission, so I won't look up and make eye contact with you. But somebody sent this to me, and it is so perfect. So I think this quite possibly is the best summary of the Christian walk in Psalm 23. It's only 12 seconds long, but I think we should watch it. I think just one more time, just for the effect. I've watched this like 87 times. But isn't that the best description of the Christian wall? At least it is for me. And then the, like, the little penny player playing it off. I think we can go home now. I... But that's the Christian walk, I feel like, a lot of times. And, and I especially enjoyed how the shepherd got him out, and then that U-turn, and then you could just see the deflation <laughs> in the shepherd. And really, can anyone relate to that video? Can anyone relate to that video this week? And let's quickly catch up <clears throat> to where we're at. We've been talking about what it means, the first few verses, the Lord is my shepherd, Mention again, everyone has a Lord. Ideally, it is Christ, and he is the good shepherd. And if we recognize that, then we lack nothing. We can be content in him. And then we talked about how he makes us lie down in green pastures, kind of that, that pushing down the back end of a dog or putting the 
toddler back in bed for the fifth time or how he makes us lie down in green pastures. And the green pastures is not for eating, it's for resting. We talked about the Sabbath, still convicting. Talked about how he then leads us, how now Christ is leading us. And King David was talking about as the shepherd leads beside quiet waters. And we described how if the water is rushing or moving, the sheep won't go by it. So the good shepherd has to draw out a line so the water sits, so they'll drink. Last week we talked about he refreshes my soul or he restores my soul. And we discussed how being restored means at one point we were stored and he brings us back like new. And restoring is not simply upgrades. We spend a lot of time, at least in in my life group, our life group, the young adult life group, whatever life group, talking about how, how it's so easy to want to do upgrades because people see them, but restoration is a slow process. But then the, sl- the slow, the long, the loving repair of Christ. And that's what King David is stating. And once we recognize that, once we understand that he is guiding us and he, he restores us and he's guiding us and he restores us. And we talked about last week how he leaves the 99 for the one. And when the 100 are together, how beautiful that is. And now he is guiding us. Again, notice Notice here it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, verse 2. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes or restores my soul. He's now guiding me along the path. It's, It's as if Christ, and it is, Christ is taking us slowly and surely. Come do this. Okay, now it's time to rest. Now let's continue to do it. The work of sanctification, the work of becoming holy, the work of becoming more like Christ is slow process. And I don't know about you, but slow is, is a speed I do not like. I want it fast and quick and probably yesterday. But God knowing that it's a slow process, it's, it's, it's like gardening. It's whenever you plant a flower and you just stare at it, hoping that it will grow. Well, you have to wait. When you have your baby, you have to wait for his or her arrival. And then you have to wait until they grow up. The good things are slow things. And there was a quote that was shared with me from, uh, from the book that I had mentioned earlier on um, from John Comer. He, he writes, talking about God is slow because God is love. That is so profound. So as we consider this, now that our soul has been restored, King David is saying in verse 3, now he's guiding me along the right path for his namesake. He's now guiding me. It shows, again, just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a, at a time. And as we have mentioned through this series, the description of what sheep do is exactly what we people do. In Philip Keller's book, he, he talks about this. He talks about the way a sheep will simply stay in one area. The, the sheep's main desire is to stay right where they're at. Sounds like me sometimes. I want to do better, but I'm very content. And, and, and specifically, the one area that Keller talks about, Philip Keller talks about the sheep, is that they are content staying in one area, eating all of the vegetation, all of the shrubs, all the way down to the root so the plant won't grow back anymore. And later, he talks about how it actually destroys the land. 
and then there's no food. And how a bad shepherd just go and eat whatever. And then eventually the sheep will eat all of the good stuff and eventually eat all of the bad stuff and get sick. And so much so that they will continue to go in the same path until there's literal ruts into the ground. But the role of the good shepherd is to continually move the sheep to new fields, to new mountain ranges, so they won't eat up all of the food all in one shot and then start to wander off. And that's the primary place where a sheep wanders off is whenever there's no more food because they just have their nose down to the ground and keep going. And then from there, that's where they run into all kinds of trouble. It's more or less like this. Have you ever been so focused on something and then eventually you look up and wonder, where am I? Or how did I get here? Talked about that a little bit, but it's just kind of a slow fade. You've ever been in a car as a passenger and you're looking down reading something or doing something and you look up and where are we? I kid you not, just a couple of weeks ago, I got in the car and I drove to Emerald. If you don't know what that means, Emerald is the old building where we used to meet at. I pulled up in the parking lot and I said, sweet Jesus, how did I even get here? I haven't driven there in like two years, just like some autopilot. So I, I drove to my old home. I hope other people are weird like this, but it's just like this. I, I was so embarrassed and no one was there. I was embarrassed for myself, to myself. But just the slow fade, and that's what sheep do. They'll just continue to eat unless the good shepherd moves them to a new field. Philip Keller talks about within five to seven days, depending on how many sheep, the sheep need to move to a new field or they will completely destroy an entire field less than a month. Jeremiah describes it this way. If you look at Jeremiah 50, verse 6 and 7, it says, My people, this is God speaking, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and turned them loose in the mountains. They have lost their way and can't remember how to get back to the sheepfold. All who found them devoured them. Their enemy said, we did nothing wrong in attacking them for they have sinned against the Lord, their true place of rest and the hope of their ancestors. And we're just jumping in in the middle of a thought of Jeremiah as he's sharing a prophecy. But this is God saying that these under shepherds, which were the Jewish leaders at the time, you've just let them do whatever. You've not corrected them. You've not guided them. Now I have to come. Now I have to come and rescue them. But first, they're going to be in captivity. And we talked about that. But do you notice? He said, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds had led them astray and turned them loose on the mountains. And they can't remember how to get back to the sheepfold. So, if that is true, which is is true, what does that mean? So what does David mean in Jeremiah describing? Set a picture. And there are paths and many paths that David would have recognized in the Judean wilderness. And with his sheep, and it was so hilly and there are so many paths to take, how will the sheep know where to go? So let's take a look at a picture. The first picture here is uh, the wilderness, the Judean wilderness. So if I told you to go take a path, which path would you take? Which hill would you follow? How would you know which way to go? And then if you look at the next picture here, you see those lines in one of the hills? That's not from water. That is from sheep grazing. 
So the sheep graze line by line by line by line by line by line all the way up the hill. Now that is a proper hill. That is a hill that is properly taken care of by the shepherd. It's organized. The sheep would move up and down, up and down the hill over to the next hill. Up and down, up and down over the hill until the next hill. If it was a bad hill, there would be no organization and it would be deeply rooted in there. And I couldn't find a picture that really satisfied that, but you get this. You get this point. So what King David is saying now in his illustration from his experience as a shepherd is he's saying, now he, God, guides me along the right path for his namesake. Paths of righteousness. So why are paths so important for us? Again, paths is plural. He doesn't say a path of righteousness. He says paths of righteousness, which means there's different areas of your life. Although we are on one path, you are on different paths in different areas of your life. So for example, you might be on the right path at work. You might be a great employee. You might be a great employer. You might be very successful. You might be doing the right things. You're bringing in a revenue. But you could also, at the very same time, be on the wrong path with a relationship. Or perhaps you're on a right relationship with God, but you are on a bad path with other people. You might be fighting with your spouse, your children, fill in the blank. So there's multiple paths. I think at least for us as Americans, as Westerners, as Christians, um, all of that combined, I think sometimes we imagine this successful path. I don't know uh, for you, but in high school, it was always the successful path or the path to success. And it just showed this big, I still see in the economics class, this big road And then there's these little roads that were all thorny and broken. You must be successful. You must go to college. You must, you must, you must, you must. And it was a big push. And that was really terrifying because I was thinking, well, what college? Well, what job? Well, what do I, I mean, I want to be an astronaut, kind of. I mean, what does that mean? Well, maybe I want to be a doctor. I want to be a mechanic. I want to be on and on and on and on. What? Why is there only one path? It was very confusing, and, and it still is. It's almost as if, and I do believe, in our culture today, our culture says, find your destiny within. <laughs> Gross. But we believe it. Just go watch Disney. Let it go. Whatever. So I believe we have in us this idea that there is just one path And if we get the secret formula, then we will be right with God and everything will go as planned. And if we make one mistake, our life is over. Anyone over dramatic like me sometimes? So, for example, when you're in high school again, what college should I go to? If I have to pick a college, which one should I go to? Which one will be the right one? Which one will be the bad one? Or I have a job. I have two job opportunities. God, which one do you want me to take? It's almost as if... We only have one opportunity to make the most of our one shot. And if we pick wrong, then we will forever be lost and we won't be successful and Christ will be mad. But if you look at it in the light of Psalm 23 and what David is saying and the Christian life, you will see that there are all kinds of problems with that thinking. First of all, the main problem is the primary problem, the super duper problem, whatever you want to say, is that mentality is focused on you. What will I do? What will I get? How successful will I be? 
you're more wrapped up in you, more wrapped up in what it will look like for you and what you will have. Just like that sheep, you're just nose down to the ground, eat, 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 and then all of a sudden you look back, where's the sheep, the other sheep? Where's the shepherd? So focused. That sounds a lot less concerned for the Lord's name and for his glory, which we'll talk about in a moment. And I know the counter-argument, because part of what I do whenever I write a message and I'm studying is I come up with a point and I pray through it, and we'll talk about that. I'll talk about that later here in a moment. But I try to come up with the counterpoints. Why is this wrong? If someone is sitting there, you guys listening, who would, who, who would have a counterpoint? And there is always counterpoints. I don't claim to know how, have all the answers. I know who has all the answers. But I know the counterpoint is, well, we don't want to be unsuccessful. And how will that look for God? What kind of witness will it be if I'm not fill in the blank? Again, it's more of a self-focus there. So going back to the reason we are created, I think is the starting point of recognizing what right paths are. So this is what I wrote down. The reason I was created, and I wrote my name, so you can write your name if you want, or just listen. Dallas, to give God glory by being in a right relationship with him through his son. That's my whole purpose in life. Dallas, to give God glory by being in a right relationship with him through his son. The end. Well, that doesn't sound successful. But if we start from that point, what is it, what can I do to give God glory? What is it in my right relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sin? What does that look like? And just like the photos that we looked at a moment ago, since we are that illustration and since we are similar to sheep, we just walk the same way. We just do the familiar path. We just kind of follow that herd mentality. And even though we're so individualistic and so independent, a lot of times we do look over our shoulder to compare how we're doing. But what, when David uses the word right path or righteousness, what does he mean? What does that righteousness mean? The word is tezdek in Hebrew, and it means rightness or righteousness. And it comes from... It, it sounds like almost from the word right behavior, obeying the rules, being in the right mind, the do's and don'ts, doing things correctly. That's what it sounds like, but really it comes from a bigger word that literally means the standard of right relationship we have between God and other people. So let me read it in that way. He guides me along the standard of a right relationship with him and with other people. That's what King David is talking about, about that relationship. What does Christ say that the most important commandment is? To love God and to love other people. That's what a righteous path looks like. So at the heart, it is based on a relationship so intact to God's will and desires that it's manifest in our life. We are so focused on God, we're looking to God, and we say, we understand you, and, and we, we want to follow you, and we also want to be right with others. We understand you and what you are asking us to do, God. Your rules, 
the right way to live, and we're doing this because we're in a right relationship with you, and here's the key, we're in a right relationship with you because we trust you. So really, what King David is saying, if you look at it from the sheep's perspective, he's saying, a little sheep, follow me along the right path. You can trust me. And that's what Christ is asking us to do. So, quickly, it's not considering a whole bunch of do's or don'ts. I want to do the right thing. Yes, yes, yes. We talked about that before. This is, I trust you, God. So what you're saying, I, you know what's best for me. And, and, and if you know what's best for me, I trust you and I will follow you. And that will be a rel- right relationship with you because of your son and with other people. That's why sheep aren't meant to be by themselves. That's why we're not meant to be by ourselves. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We may like the idea, but we were made for community. And just as Nick shared earlier about the need for life group, this is great. This is a great setting. We come together, but really, the life group, at least for me, is a lifesaver. Those are the people that I call when I need help. Those are the people that will bring me a meal. Those are the people that, and not that all of you won't, but it's easier for me to reach to my small community than the large community. And that's what David is saying. He's saying, I've been a shepherd before, and I've walked them along, and I've guided the sheep, and and I know what's best for them, and they need to trust me. So loving God and loving others, and David is talking about these paths or these right paths that the good shepherd would lead us on the path of what it means to be in a right relationship with the good shepherd. He doesn't just say, go do this. The shepherd never says that. He says, come follow me, and I will take you on the right path. It's not do as I say, not as I do. Christ is saying, I've done this. So follow me. And many times, at least I've noticed, he carries me a lot more than I walk. And it's not about the individual. It's about us as a community. It's just as much as it is about the individual sheep, the individual Christian, a personal relationship with Christ, not a private relationship with Christ. It's all about us and the community, and we are following on the right path because it is us on the path together. Again, that picture that I showed with all those lines, that's not done by one sheep. That's done by many sheep all following the shepherd. So it's wonderful when we see individuals make strides towards Christ. We celebrate when someone comes to Christ as their Savior. We celebrate. We have a big celebration when people get baptized. We talked again last week when God leaves the 99 for the one and we celebrate when, when the 100 are whole again. And that's why the previous series, The Encounters with Jesus, it was not just about one person's encounter with Christ. They would share it and we all had their encounter by that encounter. We're all in this together. So as we are in right relationship with Christ, as we are trusting Christ, as we are following Christ, The next part is for his namesake or for his glory. So when David was writing this, he was living in a society that operated in an honor and shame society. There are still honor and shame societies in this world. There's really three main um, societies currently in this world, just a side tangent. 
We currently, Westerners, Americans, we live in a self-expression fulfillment society, also known as guilt or innocent society. We have high guilt if we don't do what's right. Uh, we feel innocent. We, we are fulfilled if we do what is right. Where honor and shame, that's important to us, but not as big. The other one that's less prevalent is the fear and power. Those are the societies that believe in uh, unseen forces, curses, spirits, spooky stuff. But in this honor and shame society, everything that someone did considered, will this bring honor, not to me, but will this bring honor to my family's name? Will this bring honor to the Jackson family? Or whatever your last name is. So what's interesting here is sometimes you see it in this honor and shame society where the consideration is, is how will this make my family better? Not me individually, but my family better. And at times, even still in parts of this world, name is everything. Their name, that's why you hear Dallas, son of someone, son of someone, son of someone. Like you see that, you see that in the medieval time. And that was your nobility. And if your family totally messed up, you had a scratch over your name and you were shameful. It's almost, when I was considering this, it's almost as if our name was our resume and our background check at the same time. So almost when you say your last name, you're presenting your resume and your background, but also the resume of everyone in your family before you. So hearing the name that represented a good reputation or a bad reputation. So really what David is saying, for your namesake, for God's namesake, to trust into God. But for here, what David is connecting and what we can realize is that God is the backing, the backing of his own name. It's not only what we do to represent him, but it's not even our ability to bless him. It's almost like Christ is the co-signer of a house, yet he, he paid for it and he signed it. So it's not focused only on that David will give God glory. That is our role. That is our expectation. But what he is saying is he believes that God will be the right one. He will stand up for his name because God is trustworthy. It's not the sheep's reputation on the line. If you go out right now, if we all went outside and we were all leaving for lunch and you saw a sheep run across the street, what would you think? Well, that would be a shocker, first of all. <laughs> but then you would think, sheep. But then the first thing you would ask, perhaps, is whose sheep is that? Just like when you're at a grocery store and you see a kid running wild through the store. Vroom, vroom. You don't say bad kid. You may say that. You're like, where's their parents? What's going on? Who do they belong to? Who's responsible for that person? That's really what this for his namesake means. And a lot of times I think, to be quite honest, I have to, I've really been working out how, how to work this through. We are all responsible for the way that we give God glory. I just read my statement. But we also have to be careful that it's not about us. We're so good at making everything about us, even when we're trying to give God glory. Look at God, he's so great, but look at me telling you, you're so great. So really, we do have to worry about our witness by the way that we live our lives. The Bible talks about that all the time. But in the end, 
when we are worried about our witness, truly our witness is who God is and what God has done. It's not the sheep, again, it's not the sheep's reputation on the line, it's the shepherd. And God can care for his own reputation. So again, I'm not discrediting our witness, both God, uh, both the good and the bad and how that will impact others. But when we are so focused on God and less of ourselves, God is glorified and people see Christ in us and we don't try to take it from God. And, it's, and going back to the sheep, it's so, they're walking so close to the shepherd that they're not identified as an individual, they're identified by their shepherd. And isn't that how you want to be represented? How you want to be seen? How it looks? for his namesake, for his glory, his glory based on himself, on his own glory. Essentially, God said he's going to do it, and he did it. So I know that, at least for me, perhaps you're thinking that sounds good, and I believe you, and there are many right paths. There's only one way to heaven through his son, but in this life, I can make decisions. But how do I hear from God? Anyone ever ask that question? How do I hear? How do I know? I really want to do the right thing. I really want to take the right path. I really want to have a right relationship with God and others. I am saved. I've been walking with the Lord, but I want to pick the right paths in my life. And I, I know it's for God's glory based on his character and not mine, but that doesn't mean I get a free pass to have a poor character. But what I really want to know is how do I know when God is speaking? And if God... Maybe you've even asked this. If God would just come down in a burning bush and talk to me every once in a while, that'd be super. Or at least a sign that says, hey, Dallas, this way. And whenever I drive by, by it, it, another sign, turn around, Jackson, like the GPS. And up front, I know when we talk about hearing from God, depending on your experience and your upbringing, your theological background, you can be a little nervous. It's a little tense. You're concerned about what's going to come next. Or perhaps you're concerned that you've had an experience you can explain. Now, up front, just two things I just want to share up front real quick. Me, personally, I have never heard God's voice audibly. You may have. Good. I have not. I'm still waiting for the day that James Earl Jones speaks to me. Now, I will say, I really expected to hear from God's voice early on in my life, especially as a Christian, as I was a young adult, thinking, well, this just makes sense. And, and for a long time, I was really disappointed because he never did what I asked him to do, and you're supposed to do what I asked God. I know that doesn't work, but it was irrational, and I, and I really wanted to hear from him. Then God spoke to me, not in an audible voice. Something along the lines of, if I spoke to you in an audible voice, you would always wait till the next one. That's just for me. Man, God knows me. He knows me so well. That's exactly right. I'm not going to move until you talk to me again. Come on. The other thing, just up front, I am very much a systems guy because I'm not organized. And in order to be organized, I'm systems. I call it my engineering background. Essentially, I'm a big thief. I take someone else's really good system and I apply it to my life. That's it. So, with all that qualifiers up front, this is what has worked for me. And this has 
at least for the last 15, 16 years of my life, how I've heard from God. Someone who's never heard the audible voice of God. You take it what you will, but I've seen it work. And again, I'm a systems guy, and I stole it from Dallas Willard. He wrote a book back in 1999 called Hearing God, Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. Hearing God, Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. And I read this like in 2005 or something like that. And it has, for me personally, changed the way that I listen to God, that I hear from God. So again, I I read this about 15 years ago. I keep this. I recommend it to people who are struggling with it. And the key is in his little subtitle, a conversational relationship with God. So if you were to spend a whole day with me, you would think that I'm talking to myself all day long. I talk to God all the time, and I don't necessarily start with, dear God. Sometimes I say, hey, by the way, and it's not that I'm trying to be not authentic or reverent to the Lord. It's just like I've just gotten done talking with him, and then I remembered something, and I said, hey, by the way, now, again, my, the, the word picture I have in my mind when I come into the presence of the Lord at the beginning of my day, let's say, is the picture that my grandmother told me whenever I would, and I told the story before, whenever I was a little boy, I was so excited to see my grandpa in his shop. And the first thing I would do is I'd run by grandma. Hi, grandma, I love you. Where's the cookies? Okay, see you at the, in the shop. And I'd run. And the first thing she would say to my brother and I is, hold on, grandpa's in the shop. He wants to see you. Knock on the door. Enter in quietly and see what he's doing. So that is my approach in the morning to Christ whenever I wake up. Almost scared, but not quite scared. I think it's a healthy fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of true wisdom. So I come in, but then for the rest of the time, I already picture it that I'm already in the shop with grandpa. I'm already in the shop with God. So I just continue to have a conversation. One of the keys to the conversation is the conversation is not constant talking. I don't know about you, I can run my mouth a lot, but say when Nally and I and the kids are on a long drive, sometimes we just listen to music, usually an audio book. We're not always talking. We're not always listening. We're not, so it's ongoing. So just that up front. So <clears throat> at least there's more of my qualification. Hey, if you want another book, F.B. Meyer's Secret of Guidance is another good book. It's written, in, it's hard to read because it's smart English, old English. But it's good. So the three main ways God speaks to us, and they all align. They don't disagree. And I'll highlight them quickly, and then we'll circle back, and I'll give a couple of words on them, and uh, I can't possibly cover it all. But um, the first thing up front, too, I guess another qualifier is, depending on the relationship that you currently have with Christ will determine how he speaks to you. Right now, I'm in a season of life where Christ doesn't have to yell at me to get my attention. I'm thankful for that. He has, and he probably will whenever I don't pay attention. I'll explain that. But really, the simple communication comes from God just speaking to me because I've already been paying attention. God doesn't have to get my attention when I'm already paying attention. Just think about your children. When they're sitting there and they're listening to you, you don't have to raise your voice. You don't say, hey, look at me, turn off the TV, put your book down. They're already paying attention, so I don't have to get their attention. So, all that to say, here's the three, and this is totally from Dallas Willard, and it's helped me. Number one, circumstances. Number two, impressions of the Spirit. 
And number three, Scripture. And I'll explain that. So circumstances, impression of the Spirit, and Scripture. So again, it's a conversational relationship with God. So circumstances, just, just considering that. <clears throat> circumstances, a couple of things. Where are you currently in your life? Where are you currently at in your life? Who is around you? Who's influencing you? What do other godly people have to say about the subject you're asking God about? For example, if you're here and you're 16 years old, you do not need to be worrying about where you're going to live in your retirement. I'm not saying don't be responsible, don't save. I'm not saying that. But a lot of times, at least what I've noticed, is I get so way far out in the future that God wants to speak to me in the now, but I'm so worried about later. Circumstances is what you are currently facing, not simply a goal for later. It's also an evaluation of where you are in your relationship with Christ. Circumstances don't give you an indication, all of the indication. It's just part of where are you at right now? A running joke, but it's good advice for pastors and probably most people, is whenever I first went into full-time ministry, my mentor, the first thing he said is never make a big decision on Monday. Don't quit. Don't quit your job. Don't write a mean email. Don't buy a house. Don't sell your house. Don't make big decisions with your wife. You may not be in the right place of mind. Then he went on and said, reflect on the goodness of God from yesterday's service. So that's a circumstance. Where am I at right now? And who can I talk to that are godly influences? So what am I facing? What am I experiencing? Because when God impresses on you through his spirit and then through his word, where are you at? Are you in a position to listen? Because a lot of times, you know, whenever you do a prayer bomb, you just pray because you're supposed to, but you're really not intending to listen. You're like, dear God, please get me out of this because it's crazy. I thank you, amen. Those are really good, but you can't live off of those. You only have so many bombs you can throw. And I'm not discrediting how God speaks. It's just sitting down, being prepared. What is your circumstance? Are you focusing and expecting that God will speak to you? Impressions of the Spirit. Dallas Willard explains this better than I would, but it feels different. It comes out of nowhere for me. It's a small whisper of a calling. And many times it's unrelated to what I am doing. It's a peaceful one. That's, a, that's important. I, 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 jo- I say this jokingly, and then I realize that there's some complications with it. I say that I'm a sermon junkie, and I realize a junkie is someone who's a drug addict, and I don't want to make light of that. I just meant, really mean I probably listen to 15 sermons a week. <laughs> Weird, I know. But I really enjoy it. And I could be listening to a, a sermon on Genesis, and then all of a sudden something will come for encounters with Jesus. And then I have to stop. And then I, and, and it's, again, it's, not a, it was, it's just kind of a thought. But real quick, it's a peaceful one. It's not an interrupting one. And what I've noticed that if I am terrified or if it's scary or if it's worrisome, it's not from Christ. Perfect love casts out all fear. 
But what I've noticed too, many times when God speaks or whispers or puts the impression on me, the enemy many times tries to attack it and makes me nervous, scared, worried. For example, my go-to is, this is how the enemy attacks me. I feel like Christ is saying, hey, when you talk about, he guides me on right paths, I want you to notice that that word path is plural. I'm like, oh. Then all of a sudden, shortly after that, I had this thought of, no one cares about that. That's the stupidest thing you can think of. No one cares about paths or path. Well, that wasn't from Christ. And I don't know if you care about path or paths, but it's not an attack. I mean, it was an attack, but it's not an accusation. You see that? So it's, it's sitting there. It's, it's, it's resting in there. It's, it's, it's that pushing there. It's kind of a special thought through an experience, not a bunch of signs that you test over and over again. And then Scripture. Scripture, what does God's word say? What has he already said about anything that I'm going through? Side note, God never tells you to sin. There's no shortcuts. Another warning about the scripture. As a Bible-believing community, which we are, we can get paralyzed if the scripture directly doesn't cover our question. For example, Dallas Willard, his book, he gives his example If you're wondering whether or not you should go to Denver, Colorado, and you look in the scripture, shocker, the Bible doesn't have the word Denver or Colorado in it. But as he would go on and say, and this has been my experience too, 90% of God speaking to me, 90% comes during Bible study. And 90% of that, so 90% of the 90%, is not what I should do. But it enlightens me, it encourages me, it tells me to keep going, it reminds me it's true. Because there's been many times that I said, God, do you want us to buy this house or this house? Do you, God, do you want me to come to renew and be the lead pastor? <laughs> or do you want me to stay in Southern California and be a family pastor? <laughs> Which one do you want? What do you want? You pick, so I can blame you if it doesn't work out. Essentially, that's what I'm saying. But then I had the peace. And then also going back to our circumstances, Natalie was praying with it. We had, we had elders praying for it. We had our friends praying. We had prayer warriors praying for it. And there was a sense of peace that said yes. And then you good people affirmed it. <laughs> Suckers. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. you, you affirmed it, and here we are. But it wasn't, it wasn't yes, you must go. It was a peace that we are going to go. So again, I, just, I can't stress this enough. 90% of God speaking to me comes during Bible study. 90% of that is not about what to do, but an enlightenment, an encouragement, a peace. That's okay. I'm your God. Trust in me. Again, a couple of weeks ago, one of the application questions I mentioned was to ask yourself this question. When was the last time you read the Bible and it made you smile? When you smile, that's God. And again, this is not a mechanical indicator. These are not all the factors to consider. Check, check, check. God, okay, I'm ready. I can tend to be that way. But without God's voice, you can't rely on just going and doing it. But then yet, we have to understand and recognize his voice when he speaks to us. And, and my experience, and I think it's probably the experience of all, you don't automatically know that it's God speaking to you right away. You have to get used to it. 
Let's quickly look at the scripture application here. And, and I'll, I'll move quickly here. If you go to Samuel 3, 1 through 11, this is when Samuel hears from the Lord. And, and I'll read it, Samuel 3, 1 through 11, and we'll apply it here real quick. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. So you see that? He was a young boy. He was assisting Eli. Eli's the priest. Now, in those days, a message from the Lord were very rare, and the visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called to Samuel. Now, stop here. So when we read the lamp of, the God, of God not yet had gone out, Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle. You guys don't sleep here at the church. Um, we don't carry an ark. We have the Holy Spirit in us. So essentially, in the New Testament, he was with God. Christ was with him. Christ is with us. He was resting in God. I imagine, modernize it, he did a Bible study and he was in the middle of prayer and he was just about to go to sleep. You know whenever you're about to go to sleep and you're not done quite praying, but you feel at peace? That's where he was. Verse four, suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Well, of course, he's not heard from God before. He said, I didn't call you, Eli replied, go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said, go back to bed. Samuel's totally confused right now. Someone's calling me. Verse seven, Samuel did, did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. Well, if you've not heard a message from the Lord before, it's gonna take a while. So the Lord called a third time. Once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Do you notice here, if we're worried about the paths of righteousness, it's not a one-time deal. Look at how many times God called him. He didn't call him one time and said, well, you didn't answer, so tough luck. See you next time. Maybe never. No, he called him a third time. Then Eli realized it was the Lord, halfway through verse eight. Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. Stop there. Remember our circumstances, asking other people to pray for us, asking godly people. So now Eli is realizing, oh, this is the Lord. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. Go back to what you were doing. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. You know, Samuel didn't say, oh, that's dumb. It's not the Lord. Why would the Lord speak to me? I'm a nobody. You're the priest. You see all these arguments you make with yourself? You can get really good advice from godly people. You can read the scripture and you can think, not me. I'm not worthy. Good news, no one is, but Christ is. Christ died for that. Moving on. So, verse 10, and then the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. He says it twice. Anytime that God says something twice, it's such a, it's such a peaceful calling of seriousness. It's like whenever, whenever you want to wake up someone that you love and you say their name twice to get them up and wake them up. So you'll see that, Mary, Mary, Saul, Saul. You'll see that throughout the whole Bible. Anytime you see it twice, it's God emphatically but lovingly saying it. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. And at that point, Samuel said, uh-oh, <laughs> Well, you can go home and read the rest of... But do you see that? His circumstances were there. He was in the presence of the Lord. He was lying by the Ark of the Covenant. He had just done his Bible study. He's now at peace. He is now at rest. He's, he's knowing. 
He did not recognize God's voice the first few times. He was quiet. Then he asked for help. And if this is new to you, relax. Give yourself time. This is, again, slow process. One thing for me that I realized is I stopped fighting how God made me. I stopped fighting the way he, ha- he has and is developing me. So many times I wish that I was so linear. I would make a really good engineer, a better engineer, whatever. I wish I was just so, I wish I was my wife, to be quite honest with you, a lot of times. So organized, everything's in the calendar. My calendar, I just color pictures. Like, I just wish... I just wish I was, but, but I've, as I continue to grow in maturity, I realize God made me this way for a reason. So he will speak to me in this way. So, and, and I know uh, for me, I, I, I get what I call a half thought, at least. I'm doing a study and a half thought. And the best way I can describe it is that little plant that's breaking through the ground. I can't ignore it. I can't step on it. I just have to let it develop. And then sometimes that means I have to go back and walk around and think about it. Sometimes I have to sit in my chair, change my position. If you ever come visit me during the week, just forgive me. I might be walking around. I might lay upside down. on the Like I have to change my position because I'm just not so sure. And then the content, the content of what God says is never, again, I already said this, against him or his word. And the biggest thing to note <clears throat> as he guides us on righteous paths, most of the time it's a step-by-step process. We want the whole road lit up, all of the lights, all of the arrows. We want a GPS, but many, many times walking with the Lord is we are walking one step at a time with a 99-cent flashlight to only reveal the path right in front of us. So quickly, how do I do it? I ask, I literally ask God, God, will you speak to me? in as much humility as I can, because I don't want to say, speak to me because I'm special. This is for your glory, not mine. If, you're going to give, if I'm going to give you glory, God, make sure that I don't try to steal it as if I ever could. And then I listen. And like I said, many times God prompts something in my heart. I totally don't get it, so I ask for directions again. I used to be shameful for that. What does that mean? And I felt like I should have already known. And then the other thing that I've done within like the last five years or so is I put a time limit on because I get so paralyzed if I don't know what it is. So I don't wait forever, two days, three days, whatever it is. Is there, and then if I still don't get a direction, a lot of times it's even with the message and this is just not if you're preparing for a message. If, if nothing is there, if I don't hear, if it's still unclear, then I go and I ask, is there anything in me that's preventing me to speak? from you speaking to me? Is there sin in my life? Am I avoiding a situation? Big for me, have you already told me to do something, but I'm trying to find a workaround and hoping that you'll say something else? Now, if it's still not clear, this is how I take it, and I got this again from Dallas Willard. I take it, if I don't have a clear direction, I take it that it's God's indication that I should decide on my own, give him glory. He will be with me on my journey regardless of what I choose. And this is my assurance that he will be with me in my decision. Again, when you have children, you want them to grow up and make their own decisions and not depend on you. And, big, and the last thing, and I'll close with, I know that God will be with me even when he doesn't tell me what to do. That's so big. I know that God will be with me even if he doesn't tell me what to do. His presence alone is all that we need. 
So with me, it's more than just him telling me what to do. It's his reminder that he loves me, that I'm his boy. That's mostly how God speaks to me. And he says, you can do it. You're not so great, but I am. Quite regularly, that's kind of where he ends. So having a right relationship with Christ is the way that we are on a righteous path, and it's the way that we give glory as we do it together. I know that was a lot. I crammed it in. Thank you for your patience. If you have any questions or the book or you want a PDF of this specifically, if that's helpful, let me know, and I'll send it to you. Again, I didn't create it. I just modified it to work for me. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you uh, that you speak to us, sometimes not in an audible voice, but we are so thankful we live in a time where your spirit lives in us. For those of us who have put our trust in you, God, and Lord, we do want to do the right things. We're reminded what Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do, and yet through that, through your grace and your mercy, you use us, and you speak to us, and you guide us, and Lord, I do pray for all of us in here that when we consider speaking to you, that we, we come to you so humbly. And, and thank you for the reminder um, to come to you full of humility and that you will continue to call on us and you continue to walk with us. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your word, Lord. R- will you reveal to us as we are on this path, on our journey home, If there's any little paths in our life that isn't right, will you help us make them right? Lord, if you've called any one of us to do something and we're trying to get a a backdoor out or a a way not to do it, will you reveal that to us, Lord? And and as uh, Eli told Samuel um, what to say, um, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Lord, we want to be careful to give you the glory and we want to listen and we want to follow after you and will you give us patience in this journey, the patience that you have for us. So Lord, as we continue to worship you, we're just thankful. We're thankful that you are our God, you are the good shepherd and that we can depend on you. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.